Okay, good evening everybody. Well, we're um, concluding our study really this evening in the book of Ruth. We got to the end of chapter 4 uh, last week in the actual text. What I said we'd do this week is to go back and have a look again at the book, um, but particularly in regard to the models that are in the book. As we've gone through, we've just touched here and there on, on some of the models, um, but um, I really want to just um, go through and explore this. Uh, I found it just, just absolutely breathtaking. Um, realising the the design uh, that God has put into his word. Uh, if you could just imagine, uh, just to try and give you some concept of, of what we're dealing with here, if you could imagine writing a story and uh, that's on the surface just a normal story that's dealing with whatever issues you choose and yet subtly arrange your main characters and everything in the story to map out some sort of political scenario that's taking place in the world. But also for that to be something that's going to happen 500 years down the road. And then, at the same time, using those same characters, map out another scenario. It's all still within the text, so you're not changing anything, just in this one story. Uh, map out something that's going to happen 1,000 years down the road, and then something that's actually going to happen three or 4,000 years down the road. I mean, you start to get an appreciation of how difficult that would actually be. I mean, you could, there's certain things you could possibly guess for the next 10, 20, 30 years politically, but when you start to think beyond that, you have no idea what the governments of the world are going to be like, where they're going to be, what's going on. Um, and, you know, if you also were to, to put in that, the, the, the future history of your nation, um, covering, again, a 3,000-year you know, uh, time span, um, and, and use those characters to be the key figures in that little, you know, as well, that's what we've got in the book of Ruth. So, as we go into it, we, we've talked already that the book is the story of redemption. It is a um, it's a love story on the surface, um, which we see between effectively uh, Ruth and Boaz. But really, the the story underneath that is a love story between Christ and His bride, um, which we'll see as we go through. In Hosea twelve uh, verse ten. We read there, it says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I've multiplied uh, visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Well, the first part, you know, I've spoken by the prophets, no problem. Multiplied visions, that's fine. But this idea of using similitudes by the ministry of the prophets, what God is saying is, in effect, that he's encoded in what the prophets have said, in what we have written down, um, similitudes, something that is like something else. Uh, and the word that we've, we've used before is like a model. And if you were going to build something, as we've said before, very often, you know, architects... In fact, I was looking around today and I, I found a, a model uh, that they actually made before they built the Twin Towers in America. They actually constructed a model, a scale model of the area to see what it was going to look like and how it would, you know, sit in relation to all the other buildings around it. And that's what they did before they started building. And very often you've seen little architects' drawings or, or uh, maps out or little model villages of, of where they're going to build houses and how it's going to look when it's finished. Well, in a sense, that's what God's done here with Scripture, um, that we have the, the, the narrative, we have the stories, the real events that were taking place, but that God has interwoven these models of things that were yet to come, uh, looking forward to a, a greater fulfillment. And that's what uh, Hosea was saying that God has done there. Um, Chuck quite elegantly puts it, he says, uh, a model is simply a representation of something for our insight and instruction. And that's a very good definition of that this is a model is simply a representation of something for our insight and instruction so these models that god has put there they are to instruct us to give us some kind of insight into what god is, is doing and god's plan within his word i have 
loosely um, got to about eight models. I'm sure if we went on, we would find far more. Now, some of these um, models, there's, there's a little bit of overlap, um, but there's also models within models as well, as we'll see as we go through. The, the biggest one um, is God's plan of redemption, which the whole book um, really covers this theme, and, and it's incredible as we go through it to start to see. We've got the principal characters, Elimelech, Naomi, uh, Marlon, Chilion, Ruth, uh, Orpah, Boaz and Obed. They're, they are the main characters that we, we meet in the book. Um, and as we know from various other passages in scripture, um, names have meanings. And we've already dealt with this as we went through. But when we look at the names of these characters, they actually tell a story. And they tell the story right from the beginning of God's plan of redemption. Are you alright down there? You're just straining to see a bit. Elimelech, we looked at already, uh, the name means God is my king. That's what his name means. And with this, opens up what we could refer to as the doctrine of man. Um, the whole basis of, of man and man's relationship with God uh, is encompassed in this one name uh, that starts our, our little uh, journey off here. Um, we have in the beginning God. His name means God is my king. But it starts with that L. His name Elimelech, that L, uh, as in El Shaddai and Daniel. Uh, whenever you find these, these Hebrew names that have got an L in them, that's reference to God. Beth El, Beth being house, El being God, house of God. Beth El, you read about in scripture. Um, so when you read El, it's referring to God. Um, and, and here, you know, Elimelech, uh, it's God is my king. It starts with God. Uh, and for, for mankind, in the beginning was God. It all started with God. Man wasn't there to start with. God was. We read in Psalm 14, uh, I'm sure that a lot of these scriptures are very familiar with anyway, but you know, only a fool would say in his heart there is no God. Um, the abundance is just overwhelming. Um, let's just turn to this one. It's worth looking at this one. Hebrews 11 um, and verse 6. We're going to kind of dart around a few scriptures tonight just to, uh, to enjoy it as we're going. If we're all using a, a good translation, we'll uh, all have the same scriptures. I was listening to Chuck earlier, and he was just asking if anybody in the audience there were NIV positive. <laughs> he said, we pray for you if you are. And he said, don't worry, there's only, only 5,000 differences. He said, not all of them are serious. <laughs> so... Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read there, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. Okay, and then it goes on. Order of them that do So people that come to God must believe, first of all, that he is. And this is a limited name. God is. That's, that's the, the basis, the root of his name. God is. That, that's kind of a, a functional thing. Um... Uh, and for humanity, anybody that's going to come to God must believe, first of all, that he is. Obviously, the passage carries on, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, let's uh, just move on. Um, we then get to this, uh, God is my king. It's a personal thing. And um, in Romans, we have uh, an incredible little list laid out in the, the, the first two chapters of Romans. Um, Romans 1, verses 1 to 32 deal with, if you like, the, the plight or the situation of the pagan man, people that have rejected God. Um, and the reason I'm going to this is because it, it, there's no excuse for, for individuals not having a personal relationship with God. God made it so obvious that he's there that people can't turn around and say, well, I didn't 
did or whatever else. And this is what God has, you know, worked into to the world that we live in. Um, the pagan man in, in Romans one one to thirty two, it just looks at creation. You know, and you know, the, the passage there, his attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so that they are without excuse. So God is saying, look, if you don't know anything else, you can look at the world around you and you can see that there's a God. There's no question about it. The design in nature is, is just overwhelming. Everything is, is, is dependent upon other things. You can't have something evolving first, gradually coming into something else, into something else, into something else, because you need all those things to work together. And it's a very, very simple thing that um, even really children can understand the basic principles. Uh, and what God is saying is that in nature, there's no excuse for not understanding um, but then you move on to uh, Romans chapter 2, 1 to 16. The, the have some sort of moral basis. Um, in fact, let's just some of these. Um, uh, Romans 2, verse 1 just says, Therefore thou art, ex- thou art excusable, O man, uh, whosoever thou art, in... in um, whosoever thou art that judgest for wherein thou judgest another thou condemns thyself for thou that judges does the same things and Paul goes on to really underline this point that if you were to look at people if you were to set for life you would break your own rules and the basic the simple reason is that we cannot we have this kind of moral standard that we accept that we know but we even ourselves we break those rules and people have said before that you know um, on judgment be judged by God's standard, um, or the unbelievers will be judged by God's standard, um, which is written in His Word and His Law. But even if you were to be judged by your own standard, you would still fail, because we have in our own lives that we we set these for ourselves, and then we fail. don't attain to that standard that we try and, uh, and set for ourselves. Um, and Paul is saying, you know, that even in that, we realise that we we are uh, helpless, that we cannot. We have this, we have this, this need in ourselves, that being God. Um, and then we go on to the, the plight of the righteous man, which um, picks up in uh, verse 17. Um, and then Paul goes on here, verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and um, restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And he's talking about the Jews that try and keep the law, um, that try and do things that, that they know that they are righteous by doing the right things. And yet, Paul goes on to make the point that we can't do that. And if you turn over um, various scriptures, um, um, if you look in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Very basic statement you know, of fact there. That, you know, whether we think we're going to make it or not, you know, we need to wake up and realize that we cannot make it. All of this really is encapsulated in that all part of this package. Um, the making of it, I thought it was very interesting. In um, Psalm 8, verses 3 to 6, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Thou made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Uh, and we read there that thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. You see, God has put man in an incredibly important position. Now, the only way this works is if God is my king. Um, hence the underlining of my king. You know, we have the, the God is, God is there, but God is my king. When God is my king, 
then you have that position of dominion. And that is where it was right at the start with Adam. You see, let me just give you an example. You may be the, the manager director of a big multinational company, okay? and you might have loads and loads of staff in your employee, um, and you may deal with huge business deals day in, day out. When you come outside your office and you nip into Sainsbury's, and you go up to buy something, who are you in Sainsbury's? What rank do you have there? None. Why? Because you're out of that sphere where you have authority. Because when you're in that place where you are, um, you have been given a position, when you're under that authority, then you have power. But you come out from under that power and you have no rank or no authority. Now, do you understand that? And that's exactly what Adam did. Adam, when he was under the authority of God, when, God was he, when, when, when he allowed God to have dominion over him, then he had dominion over everything else. But when he steps out of that and chooses to come out from under God's dominion, doesn't want to do it God's way, then he loses all that rank and that authority and everything else. This was all, all what Satan tried to, to, to trip him into. So this really is the, the, the basis here of this name, Elimelech, God is my king. And Adam started off in this position right at the beginning where God was his king and he was under God's authority and he had dominion. But a tragedy took place in uh, Elimelech's life, and the same thing occurred in, in, in Adam's, in a sense. Uh, for Elimelech, the tragedy was, and it's not always going to be the case, but for Elimelech, the tragedy was that he got married. Okay, now it's not necessarily a bad thing, but this is what happened. But it was a tragedy because he married pleasure. Okay, he, he sought things that were going to please him rather than allowing God to be the one that was going to please him. This is what Adam did. Elimelech married pleasant, you know, pleasure. This is the, the meaning of Naomi's name. In Genesis 3, uh, 1 to 6, we read this. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and, the tree, and a tree to be desired, and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And no we have that phrase, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant. And this is the problem. You see, Adam, effectively, he was still head of the household, and he, he married man, mankind married this pleasure. It left God, abandoned God, and this is exactly what we see going on in, in our story here in Ruth. <coughs> now, when God is my king, marriage pleasure, or pleasant, pleasure turns to bitterness and we know from the story that Naomi's changed she, she, when she was coming back she said don't call me Naomi call me Mara which means bitter and this is what what happened when Adam turned to to seek um, the things that he saw as being pleasant rather than seeking God those things turned to bitterness too now there's some great examples in scripture of this uh, pleasure turning to bitterness uh, you may be aware um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through these tonight, but if you want to make a note and look up them sometime, um, there's a story of um, David's son Amnon and um, his stepsister Tamar. Now, uh, it's recorded in 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 20. Amnon basically had a real crush on his stepsister. Now, so the story goes, if he'd have gone to the king and said, look, I really want to marry her, 
the king would have probably said, yeah, that's fine, no problem, and off they would okay. However, he didn't, and he kind of, one of his friends decided to try and give him some counsel, and he went along with his friend's idea, and he kind of got Tamar to come, he, he pretended he was ill, and got Tamar to come and to make some cakes for him, and got everybody else to leave the room, and when, when everyone else had gone, basically he raped her. Um, and then once he had what he wanted as his pleasure... It all turned to bitterness. And then it says that his hatred was greater than his love had been for her. Now, we've probably been in situations like that. Now, this is the way temptation works. It's something that, to a point, is legitimate. But Satan tries to get, get us to go at it in a way that is not legitimate. It tries to get us to satisfy those desires and pleasures uh, in ways that are not uh, the ways that God would have us do. See, again, God wants to be number one. God wants us to um, find our satisfaction in him. Uh, not to seek other things. And as soon as we start to look at uh, satisfaction in other things, those things will turn to bitterness. That's a classic example uh, we read there. There's um, Kings 5, 27, he's the servant of Elisha. Um, the story of Naaman, the servant comes, he's got leprosy, and ends up uh, getting healed of his leprosy when he uh, finally uh, brings himself to the lowest point and goes and bathes in the Jordan. He's healed of his leprosy. Um, and as a result of this, he's, he wants to give a gift. And Elisha says, no, 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 it's all right, we don't want anything, you just go. So he goes, and guess he's thinking, he hadn't done anything, because he hadn't done anything, it was the Lord that brought the healing. He goes chasing after this to get all this stuff, to get all the, the good that he brought. He brought changes of clothes, all this stuff, and, it, and guess he gets it. But as a result of that, he ends up with leprosy. The leprosy that Naaman had is then put upon him. This, this seeking for pleasure then turned to bitterness. And I'm sure he regretted it for the rest of his life. Um, Proverbs 25.16, we read there. A commentary of uh, Joe Foch's some time back now. And it really kind of just, just hit me because I thought how true that is. Look, often, desires. Um, well, I love the song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that, you know, where he says, you know, I have the spirit of the living God inside of me, give me power so that I don't have to be only now. And that, that's really, I, I think that's kind of sums it up. But so often we try and put these things down to, you know, just a, 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 it's a natural desire that we're looking to fulfill in whatever way it can be, and, you know, you apply it to your own situation however fits. Um, but I mean, he was particularly talking about food, and it's a very clear And he said, you know, there's a great restaurant down the road, and they go down and they offer a meal. And he said, you know what it's like? It's a good start with the really big starters. Everything's bigger anyway, isn't it? The main course, and it's really big, and by this time, you're going to get a meal. You're paying for it, so you're going to eat it all. But by this time, by this time, you actually know that your physical desire has been satisfied. Something else has kicked in here that is not physical. You physically do not require any more food. But something has taken over that is forcing you to, to chase this thing. And yet it's, not, it's become not now a physical thing. It, it's, it's way beyond that. It's, it's something that's kind of a spiritual thing that's pushing you down. That you, that you then have to, so you then go for this sweet. And you know you can't eat it. You know, and you get one of those... I remember... Which is very good. All right. I, I do. I do recall we went. Uh, it was, uh, I think uh, some years ago, John and I went out 
to Tunisia uh, with John and Joe, John and Susie. And um, we went to, I think it was Frankie and Benny's, wasn't it, in Ashford the night before. We did the same kind of thing. And I was full up after the main course, didn't need anything else. But then they brought the menu around. And uh, the only thing I really liked on the, the sweet menu was um, cookies to share or something. It was like a cookies and a chocolate sauce and chocolate sponge with ice cream. And it just sounded great. And I thought, well... I said, to them, does anybody else want to share that with me? And they went, no, 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 we're going to have this, 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 and this. And I thought, well, do I do I thought, oh, yeah, we're going then. And it was huge. I mean, it really was to share. It was to share with a, probably a small army. But, you know, I, I forced myself to eat as much of it. I felt so ill. So, so ill. Sorry? No, I didn't tip it out of the window. No, that's another, <laughs> that's another story for another day. But all of these things are examples that you actually get to the point that you're way beyond physically satisfying a need. And it's become something way more. Um, these things, pleasure turns to bitterness. And we've all had experiences in our own life. Anyway, back to our story. In James, uh, it says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God uh, cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Sorry. Uh, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And that really is the key. Uh, and enticed. That when the lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, how apt... And we return to our story when we abandon God as being our king. And when we seek pleasure, then it brings forth bitterness. And the fruit of that is sickly and pining. Okay, and that's exactly what happened in this story. The, the children of uh, Elimelech and Naomi were Marlon meaning sickly and Chilion meaning pining. Uh, and I mean, certainly that pining. You know, you go through and you think the names start to start with you think, well, hey, where does that fit? And how does that work? But you know, when you've been in these things, don't we just pine for? Oh, if only I hadn't have had that. If only, if only, if only. You know, it's such a common phrase in our vocabulary. Um, it's interesting in Genesis five. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But Adam and Eve had obviously been in this situation. Bitterness and you know all the problems that resulted. We then get this list of, of names in Genesis five, and each one ends. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. It's just to underline the point. If you weren't really sure that you know when you abandon God and you seek after your own way, then that will bring forth death. And the, the scripture, in fact, if you just bear with me, I'll just read that scripture again. And the last part of it. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is furnished, the I think the New King James actually uses the phrase when it is full grown, death. Okay. We then move on to Ruth. Roots, but this situation of double-minded comes. And particularly, you know, if you've ever seen, there, there is a get safety. In Psalms, we read about them you know, on the mountains. 
Uh, and it's almost like they and that just me that so often that's what people try and do. They try and get to safety on their own. Uh, and in a sense, that's what Orpha was trying to do. Uh, we'll deal with the... Uh, looking at these two, what we have here now is the two... actually reads to us which are being saved completely wrong completely wrong versus these are the two groups we've got if you like our our Ruth and our Orpah here uh, them that are uh, saved and them that are perishing and God divides humanity into these two groups we've got those that are saved and those which are perishing and that is it we haven't got a, a middle ground you're on one group or the other both of their situation and the, the groups of mankind represent. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if, shall, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8, 35, uh, etc. Um, you know, that's the situation it was, particularly that, that Orpah, she thought about her situation that she wanted to, to not be in that her own God. Okay. And then we move on to Boaz. Now Boaz, uh, we're going to see later, is clearly a type of Jesus. Um, Boaz is his Ruth. His name His owners are more. You see, if Orpa had come back. But only Ruth, John uh, chapter two, verse two. When you when you can say before. Really is is quite heartbreaking when you realise that it's just they're separated from God for eternity. So when ship. And that was the name of Obed. And 
where it started off with God's pleasantness, pleasantness that Those that are that's the whole plan. See this found. Name it. Name is a type of Israel. Now, um. We'll look at because I think they are important. Let's uh, just have a look at Jeremiah chapter 3. just one of the deal with the fact that Israel had a and that's exactly what we see uh, effectively had a and as a result this with the Gentiles um, and this is this is also part of it because the Deals with the the blessings and the curses that were for either obedience or disobedience, whatever they chose. Um, chapter twenty eight starts and it says, "And I will it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and then we get a whole load of blessings." Okay, um, but then jump to verse 15, and it, then it says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, 
that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall thou be in the city, cursed shall thou be in the field, cursed shall thou Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, uh, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall thou be when thou come in, and cursed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto, for to do, uh, unto for to do. Uh, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, until he has consumed thee from off the land where thou goes to possess it. I'm talking about the land of Israel, obviously. The Lord shall smite thee with the consumption, and with the fever, and with the inflammation, and with extreme burning, and with the sword, and with blasting, and with mildew. And they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall and the earth is under thee, uh, that is under thee shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. What incredible promise this is. Israel wouldn't obey God and we know from scripture that they didn't that what was going to happen is that they were going to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth and we now have this phrase in our vocabulary the wandering Jew you know Jews can be found almost in any country in the world they are they are scattered they're dispersed it just carries on uh, and thy carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth and no man shall fray away fray them away the Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt I'm not sure what that is don't really want to know and with the hemorrhoids I know what that is and still don't want to really know and with the scab and with the itch uh, whereas thou cannot be, canst be healed the Lord shall smite thee with the madness and blindness and astonishment of heart thou shall grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore no man shall save thee again what a remarkable prophecy how often are israel in trouble and the nations turn around and go oh i'm not getting involved you know what are we seeing at the moment the soldier is being kidnapped and what are the un doing saying well i really don't think israel should be kind of like you know, going into gaza and you know don't think we should be doing this don't think we should be doing that could you imagine if it was the other way around the pressure that we put upon israel and yet this is one of those situations that we're seeing a fulfillment of prophecy nobody's standing up for israel and uh, we go on, just, just to get to the end of this little section. Um, thou shalt betray the wife, and another shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house, and thou shalt not dwell therein. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and shalt not gather the grapes thereof. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes. Uh, thou shalt not either of thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face, and shall not be restored to thee. Thy sheep shall be given unto thine enemies, and thou shalt have none to, restore, uh, to rescue them. Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and then I shall look and fail with, uh, fail with longing for them all the day, and there shall be no might in uh, thine hand. The fruit of thy land and all thy labours... Um, uh, shall a nation which thou knowest not eat, uh, not eat up, and thou shalt be uh, only oppressed and crushed always. Um, and it just goes on and it goes on and it goes on this section um, you know and just, um, let's just jump to verse 64 and then we'll uh, move on just trying to you know just see the, see the real fulfillment of prophecy this is just such an incredible chapter of prophecy 
Verse 64, and it says, And the Lord shall scatter thee among the people from one end of earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods which thou, neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart. Now just think of the Holocaust and all the things that Israel have gone through. Um, and the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart, and failing eyes, and sorrow of mind. Um, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shall have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God even uh, it were even, and at even thou, thou shalt say, Would God it were morning, for the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, for, thou, uh, for the sight of thine eyes which thou see. There it goes on. Okay. That's just to give you some idea. That's that's just such an incredible chapter of prophecy of, for nowadays. And you know, you read that and you think, well, you know, how on earth could Israel, with you know the blessings laid down on one side and the curse on the other, you know, which one are you going to choose? And yet, incredibly, they went for that lot. But it's not incredible, is it? Because we do the same so often. And these these examples in Scripture, they're models of our own lives. You know, you look at Israel and see the way they went through, obeying God one minute and then walking away the next. In our own lives and our own hearts, we know how, how weak our hearts are when we're trying to walk with God and then, you know, something happens and we, we kind of go back our own way and we forget to trust God and we forget to, you know, seek God's face. Anyway, let's move back on with the model. So Israel were, were scattered around the world. We know all this. Um, from a time point of view, but it's worth reading at some point. Is now, she was in a state of bitterness, and she didn't think any good was going to come of it, you know, where we like it on a sad and gloomy day. And, um, you know, it was, everything was just sad for her. She had nothing to look forward to the way she saw it. Um, and Ezekiel talks about the fact that Israel will be, you know, it was, it's the, the valley of dry bones. Uh, and um, Ezekiel says, you know, can these bones live? And he says, well, you tell me. And you know, the bones gradually, you know, flow and everything, the sinews all come back to the bones, but there's no breath in them. There's no spirit. And Israel has come back to their land now, but they're in unbelief. There's no spirit. In the, uh, the apparently that's an incredible situation for a people that you know have got such incredible history you know steeped in if you like you know religion and yet the, they've abandoned those things so in the same way that Israel came back in unbelief Israel have been regathered now and it's incredible times we live in because we're actually seeing this happening um, uh, they will be re- Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 to 3, talks about them crying out and they will eventually be reintroduced to their kinsmen uh, and they will realise uh, the same has happened. And then, uh, this is just probably one worth, just worth reading, just to tie this up. Uh, the book of Amos, Hojo Amos. I'm now very grateful. Okay, just verses 11 to 15. This is the promise that God is going to restore their land to them and their blessings. And just just a lovely prophecy here. Uh, Verse 11 says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it uh, as in the days of old that they may possess the, uh, the remnant of Eden and all of the heathen which are called by my name, says the, uh, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that the ploughman shall overtake the reaper and the tread 
of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit uh, of them. Uh, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, says the Lord God. What a wonderful prophecy, what a wonderful future. Uh, what an end, if I may use the phrase um, from one of the other prophecies. Uh, Jeremiah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Prophecy in Jeremiah. You, you, it's one that's often used. The prophecy there talks about um, the modern translations refer to it that um, you know I know the plans I have towards you, you know, to, to give you a future and a hope. Well, if you think about that, a future and a hope, you know, it's something that you're hoping for. Whereas the King James to give you an expected end. This is a hope. This is the will happen. And this is the end that we're reading about there. So Israel will be restored. Naomi was restored to land. She got her, uh, her land back, and she got back far more than she thought. And uh, her neighbours commented about the fact that she was blessed. So don't worry. I'll speed up a bit. These ones. The church. Now we're not going to have time to go through all the scriptures, but there's some key ones here. Of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous good works. The distinction between this is the root part. These are the who gave himself for us that he might redeem us the redeemer he purchased us back incredible remember again he purchased